during the offering, but, but I knew when um, I came up yesterday, yesterday was actually the first chance I got to hear that, and I knew you'd love it. And so I thought, no, let's, let's push that back. And, and to, be, um, to be honest with you, there was a little bit of selfishness in that because I knew it would be such a fun way to kind of start the sermon this morning. So we kind of moved that back. And, you know, the adults and, and some of these kids, I mean, like I said, they've been here since 745. And so um, I knew that would be a lot of fun. How many of you remember singing those songs? As kids. How many remember singing them as kids? Leave your hands up if you sang them as kids. Okay, keep your hand up for a second. I want you to look around. I want you to look around and see all the hands are. And I, and I do that for a reason. Okay, you can put them down. And I want you to understand something. I, this in no way diminishes the value that God works in our lives sometimes in bringing us to faith later in life. And I know some of you have that story that you didn't grow up in church and yet God at some point in your journey he got a hold of your life. And, and that is a, a tremendous and a valuable testimony because we know that it doesn't matter the time. You know, Jesus tells the parable of the workers of the vineyard from the early morning to the late evening, and they all receive the same reward. But let me tell you, this is why all those hands that stayed up, why we stress so much the importance of our children's ministry, why you hear us talk so much about if you're able to volunteer, if you're able to teach, why the, the adults that are back there right now and in the middle service and some of you that are on the rotation are such an important part of the ministry that God's called us to is because we know that when those lessons and those songs and the faith is instilled as children, you know, um, raise a child in the way that he should go or she should go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. And there's no guarantees for anything, but, but that is so, so important. And how many of us, and, and you know, my prayer is that when most of us are, you know, long into eternity, and these kids are in their 60s and 70s, they're still singing the songs of their faith. And whatever from they may change. It may not be the same songs, but the, the message stays the same. So um, I heard that when I listened to it. We were, Cassie and I came up. Cassidy um, ran the slides for the song at the services because she'd had a chance to practice through. And we were going to do that Thursday night. The choir was rehearsing Thursday night, and they were going to go through all the slides. Um, this week in the sanctuary, had a lot of work done in the ceilings, holes patched, cracks fixed, which is why you see smattering of drywall on the floor, um, which can come up. And if I wanted to spend a lot of time on my hands and knees, we'd get that up. But this carpet's going out soon, so we're not going to be doing that. We're going to live with it for a few weeks. But, um, but I bring that up to say everything got pushed back, so we weren't able to rehearse in here on Thursday. So I didn't hear that song until yesterday. And when I did, Cassidy came up so she could rehearse it, the um, slides. I listened to it. It was like a, a journey down memory lane. You know, it was like remembering the, the vacation Bible schools and, and the Sunday school of, of my youth. And, and I knew for many of you that would be um, that same journey. So let me also say one other thing, which, which is just I've had a lot of questions um, over the months since we've done a lot of changes in here. And they've said, you know, what happened to the big cross that used to be on the wall? Um, they said, you know, and we had to take that down and do a different cross because we needed the projection space. But in case you did not know, if you turn around, there it is. It did not go out. It is back on. So the wall, the St. Cross, it has always been there, which I love because I love to see it as I'm preaching. But we have, so that, and I want to thank uh, Terry Abbas and uh, Ray Cook has, has walked out with Piper, but they 
um, were the crew primarily that um, got that cross put up. So really appreciate that. So now we've got crosses, you know, coming or going, you're going to see the cross. You're going to go out with the cross, and you're going to come in with the cross. And yeah, I, I love that. So I wanted to, to kind of share that. We've had a lot of things going on, a lot more projects that are still going on, and, and we're just really blessed that so many folks that have stepped up. Um, okay, let's turn now uh, to our scripture this morning. It, is come, it comes from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the 21st chapter. And it's verses 23 through 32. The primary focus this morning is a parable that Jesus tells. But we're going to start with the verses that precede the parable because it helps us understand the context. It helps us to understand who Jesus is talking to. You know, parables and stories and teachings of Jesus don't happen in a vacuum. You know, Jesus doesn't just necessarily tell a story for the sake of the story. He teaches through parables that speak to the experiences he's having and those he's encountering. And so it helps us to understand a little bit of, of who Jesus is talking to when he tells this, this parable. So we're going to start at verse 23. Again, Matthew 21, verse 23. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to hear these words of the Lord. <clears throat> Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Now, let's pause for a moment, because if you're a student of the Gospels, if you've read the Gospels, uh, you, you may immediately recognize that this is the ongoing pattern of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, attempting to bait Jesus, to trap him. They want him to say something they can use against him, because he was a threat to them. And so that is exactly what's happening here. They're, they're setting Jesus up so that however he answers, they can try to either accuse him of being a blasphemer or accuse him of working independent of God's leadership in his, or God's call in his life. So they're setting the trap. Verse 24, Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Then he said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, your word speaks to us. Your Holy Spirit speaks to us. Give us ears to hear. And 
challenge us, call us, convict us, encourage us by your word as we seek to be the people that you have called us to be in Christ Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. If you and I were having a conversation and I was describing somebody to you who you did not know, and among the characteristics or the qualities about this person, I said to you that this individual was a quitter. I wonder what that would bring to mind for you. I wonder what assumptions you would make about that person, what mental images you would create, what um, qualities or lack thereof of character that you would assume that they had. Basically, I wonder whether it would for you put a negative impression in your mind about who this person is. This person is a quitter. Because if you are like me, that word carries a lot of baggage. That word is the kind of word that um, you don't want tagged upon your life or your character or the description of who who you are. I, I know I don't. At least not in the way I've always thought the word. You know, when I was growing up, that was one of, you know, as a kid... That was one of the worst things you could say about somebody. They're a quitter. We had, we had a kid in our neighborhood when I was growing up in Jacksonville. Um, his name was Michael. And, you know, if you'd have asked me back then, you said, hey, tell me about Michael. I, the first thing I'd have said, he's a quitter. He's a quitter. He was one of those kids that when we got the gang together, the neighborhood gang, and we'd play uh, pickup football games or pickup basketball games, he was one of those kids that if things didn't go his way and he started losing, he'd quit. He just walk off. And you knew that. You knew that when Michael was on the team, that there was a good chance that if it didn't go his way, he'd quit. In fact, when we would have small games, sometimes we'd have games of two-on-two. Uh, maybe it was basketball or it was football. Uh, and my brother, Brian, being only two years younger, we, we played together a lot. And we knew that if Michael was in it and we were playing two-on-two, if we got ahead, we had to... Um, we had to kind of throw it a little. We had to let the other team, ca- we had to let his team catch up. We had to keep it close, even if we were more talented in that instance, because if Michael got behind, he was going home. If he got too far behind, he was going home. And when you have a game of four people and one person quits, your game's pretty much over. So, so that, that was kind of the, the quality. It was a quality. It was a character defect. He's a quitter. And, and that has kind of resounded with me. I, I hear that. I mean, we, we generally strive not to be. I was, as I was watching uh, football games yesterday. You know, when you watch college football, if you ever pay attention to the commercials, you'll see um, the commercials usually that tout the institution, one of the institutions that it's in the game. So if you watched um, Florida State and Clemson play last night, you would see somewhere along the line commercials for Florida State and the quality of their academics and their their athletics, and the same for Clemson. And one of the commercials, I don't remember which um, school it was, but it said, you know, we, we empower students something along the lines of to persevere and to not quit. Um, and because of that negative connotation, to, to be a quitter. I, I came across an article, and this was um, in my email, and it was a ministry article, and it said the five characteristics of pastors who don't quit. 
you know, who, who kind of pushed through. So that's, that's what quitting brings up for me, and, and maybe it does for you, maybe it doesn't, but it, it goes back to the, uh, the Vince Lombardi line. Um, Quitters never win, and what? Winners never quit, right? Except when they do. And what I want to think through a little bit differently today is a broader definition of quitting. Now, there are certainly circumstances and instances and examples when quitting is not the right thing to do. But in the truest definition of the word, as we think through the stories of our faith, of the Old Testament, of the New Testament, we recognize that the people of God have always been filled with the stories of the people of God, have always been filled with the stories of quitters. Moses. Moses was a quitter. For 40 years, he was a shepherd, taking care of his father-in-law's flocks out in the, 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 the desert. But he quit that when God encountered him in a burning bush. He quit that to go in to be the instrument, the leader that would bring his people out of slavery. Now you think, well, gosh, that's a harsh way to describe it, and it is, and we don't usually say Moses was a quitter. But in the truest sense, that's what he did. He quit doing one thing in order to be obedient to another. Peter, James, and John, before Jesus gave them an invitation to be disciples, what were they doing? They were fishing. They were fishermen. And the scriptures say that when Jesus called them, they dropped their nets. I mean, literally, I mean, the image that the Gospels give us is that they just were done. And they followed Jesus. They quit one way of life to embark upon another. Paul. Paul was breathing threats against the church, was a persecutor of the church. And Jesus encounters him on a road to Damascus, and he becomes a wonderful quitter. He quits persecuting Jesus in order to follow Jesus. So, so we, are, we are filled in our stories of faith with quitters. Our, our stories of history are full of quitters. I mean, we could go through all day of this, but uh, Abraham Lincoln ran a general store, and he quit to go into politics. Um, I didn't know Julia Child. I came up with, was a CIA agent. Did you know this? Before she, I, I had no idea. She, yes, Julia Childs. She quit one to do another. Or, or uh, Harrison Ford. He was a carpenter before he decided to take a part in this movie that was destined to be a flop. That movie was called Star Wars, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So, so there are, there are um, you know, the, history and, and life is full of quitters when we, we understand that term a little bit differently. And, and, I, and I set all of that up because what Jesus is doing throughout his ministry, but what we really see here in these verses is Jesus' hunger for people and for specifically religious leaders to become quitters. He is trying to attract people who are willing to quit. And by quit, that means to, to let go of a, of a life and a trajectory of life and a course that is counter to God's will for their for their lives, God's purpose and, and hope for them. He, he wants us all to be the right kind of quitters. And so he tells this parable, and he's telling it to the scribes, and he's telling it to the religious leaders, and he's telling it to the Pharisees. 
And it's, it's not hard to follow. I'm sure you fully grasped the point that Jesus was making. But he, he contrasts two brothers. And he says, and, and I want to kind of take it apart a little bit, and maybe tell it a little in a different sequence, but because there's kind of an A and B to the story. And, um, and part A of the story is that he says that the father comes to the boys and he says to his one son, he says, son, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase this, I need you to, um, to, to help. I need some assistance. If you can go out and do some things that I need to have accomplished today, if you could help me out, I'd appreciate it. And he says, the son says, no deal, dad. Too busy. Got other things planned. Can't do it. And he goes to the second son and he says, son, how about you? Can you help me out today? And the second son says, sure, dad, whatever you need. Now, if we stop the story right there, and said, well, which, of these, which would you want to be your son? I think we'd have unanimous agreement. We would all prefer the son who responds in obedience. We would prefer the son that says, I will do exactly what you need. But like Jesus does, he always has to add a twist to, to kind of mess with the trajectory of the story. And he said, well, here's the problem. Because the first son says, no, I'm not going to do it. But he has a change of heart. And later he goes and he does what the father had asked. But the son who said that, I would do, that I'll do what you need, dad, he never does it. He never follows through. He says, now, who's the faithful son? And again, it's the first. It's the one who does what the father asks, even if his initial response, even if his initial answer to his father was contrary was disobedient, he eventually responded in faithfulness. You see, it's the story of a son who quit. Actually, both of them quit. They both were on paths. But, but the son who quit living in disobedience and decided to respond in obedience. And here's the zinger. This is where Jesus just piles on. He says to these religious leaders, now keep in mind, these are the teachers of the law. These are the men who know the Torah. They follow the, the, the tenets of the faith. They can quote Scripture. They go to church all the time. These are the pinnacle of religious leaders. These are the, the, you know, the top of the, the religious pyramid, if you will. And he says, hear me clearly. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, the ones you deem unfaithful, the ones you won't even look at, the ones you seem to see as lessers. Be clear, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. And you just let that sink in for a moment. I mean, imagine if Jesus showed up at your door or my door and said, oh, I'll just put it in me, and said, hey, preacher boy, guess what? Guess what? The strippers and the drug dealers and the streetwalkers, they're entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. I don't think I'd receive those words very warmly. And the religious leaders didn't either. But what Jesus wants them so desperately to understand is there's a reason why. See, Jesus is not celebrating tax collectors. He's not celebrating prostitution. He's not saying these are, are worthwhile endeavors. What he's saying is here's the difference between them and you. They're willing to quit. When they come into a relationship with me, when, when our lives come together... Tax collectors don't stay tax collectors. Remember one of Jesus' disciples, Matthew, was a tax collector. Zacchaeus was a tax collector and gave it back. Their lives changed. Prostitutes don't stay prostitutes. 
those who are deemed sinners, their lives change because they quit in a holy and healthy way. They begin a new journey. They take a new turn. The problem Jesus had is the Pharisees wouldn't quit. They opposed Jesus at every turn, and they never stopped. They closed their hearts to God's grace and His mercy, and they never stopped. Their lives were stuck in one direction, and they would not deviate. But Jesus says, those who are blessed, those who come into the kingdom of God, are not those who are more holy because they get it right. They're more holy because they're willing to be open to the new ways God is moving, and they're open to the grace that I've come to bring. And if I can paraphrase, Jesus over and over says to the religious leaders, he says to people like me, you don't get it. Because you think you know more than you do. And you just don't get it. God calls us in wherever we are in our journey of faith. That means whether we're at the very beginning or we've been walking with Christ for many, many years. There is just so many times in our lives that God calls us and desires us to do a course correction. To go in a new direction. To quit doing something. To, to begin a new work. And it doesn't necessarily mean that what we're doing is bad. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It doesn't even mean that it's sinful. But there are times in our lives that God is desperate for us to move in new directions. And we have to be open to that or we start to follow the same pattern of the Pharisees where we just close ourselves off to the voice of God. And we close ourselves off to the promise and the blessings that God has if we just be willing to be open to the new things He wishes to do in our lives. And so we need to be attentive to that. And we need to, to ask some of the, the, the hard questions in our lives and to really search, what are some of the things that I think or that we think that God is doing? How does he speak to us? What is the unsettledness he, he births in us that begins to move us in new directions? And, and as I read and as I studied the Scripture and as I started to think about it, I started to think there's a few ways. This isn't an exhaustive list, and there's more than, than I'll list, but I think there's some concrete ways that God seeks to communicate to us it's time to quit. It's time to move in a new direction and be open to new things. And, and one of those things is that when we start to lose our passion, when we start to lose our passion for whatever it is we're doing, we need to stop and take spiritual inventory. Because it is easy for us to get into routine. It's easy for us to get into habits and go about whether it be worship or whether it be about the activities we're a part of or the ministries we're engaged in or the hobbies we partake to just get into patterns because it's what we've known. It's, it's consistency. And, and that's one of the problems the Pharisees had. They, they knew the rules. They followed the rules. They did all the religious things, but they lost their heart. That's what Jesus says over and over. You've lost your heart. I think in many ways they'd lost their passion. Or at least they'd lost God's passion. We need to be open to this. Some ways that sometimes God moves us in new directions by birthing us in us new passions. I want to tell you who I learned this lesson from most powerfully than any teacher I can think of. And that's my son. Ryan taught me this lesson. He didn't mean to teach me this lesson. He didn't consciously know he was teaching me a lesson, but he did. Because when, when Ryan was born, uh, I, I remember, you know, obviously, the day of his birth. I was there. And um, when, when he 
was born, we didn't know if we were having a boy or girl. We had intentionally the first time decided we didn't want to find out. We wanted to go for the surprise. And so, um, you know, when the doctor caught him, fortunately, and I remember he laid Ryan on, on Tony's lap. And uh, my, my first thought, and this is honest truth, was he was purple. Kind of freaked me out. But um, as he just started to breathe, as, as newborns do, and is kind of pinked up, and I know, okay, he's okay. Um, I remember very clearly looking, do I have a son or do I have a daughter? And, and I saw I had a son. And having a boy for me meant I was going to raise my son the way my father had raised me. We were going to be at the ball fields all the time. He was going to play baseball and he was going to play football. And, and we, I mean, sports. That was my life as a kid. And I thought, that's the, I, you know, I've got it. God's given me a son and we're going to do, do life the way that I did life. And, and so, and that meant athletics. And so for the first years of Ryan's life, you know, he played soccer and he played t-ball and he kind of took to football. And so through all his elementary years, before we moved to Parrish, Ryan played football, played Pop Warner football every year, or PAL football every year. And I helped coach. Oh. Yes, I'm dad. My boy, he wore, he wore my number. I wore 55 when I played football. Ryan wore 55. I mean, it was, oh, I was successful dad. I remember the conversation we had shortly after we moved to Parrish. And Ryan said to me, he's like, Dad, I don't think I want to play anymore. <laughs> what? what? He's, like, Dad, he's, like, he's like, I just, I, I, don't, um, I just don't have the desire. I don't, he, I don't know that he used the word passion. I probably didn't. He was 10. But, but he, he just said, I don't want to play. And I had made a promise. This is, I had enough Awareness. I made a promise when, when I became a father that I was never, ever going to push my kids into doing the things I wanted them to do. That I was never going to try to live so vicariously through my kids that, that I was going to try to relive my childhood by pushing them into the things that had mattered to me. And, and I had enough in one of my moments of clarity to recognize this is, this is the time to own up. I never thought I'd have to honor that promise, but apparently God had other things in mind. And, and I did. And so Ryan decided not to play. Now here's what he taught me. By, by giving up one thing, by, by in a sense quitting, and that's a word I wouldn't even like to use, um, but by changing courses, it freed up his time. Now Ryan had started guitar a few years before, but all of a sudden he didn't have those practices and all those demands of, of, of playing ball. And he started to work more on his music, and he started to, to learn how to play the drums, and he started to be a part of jazz bands and, and orchestras and all these other things. And in him was birthed a gift. And, and, and I say that as a proud father and somewhat of a bragging father, but, but it's true. That's a gift that God has given him that I don't know he'd have ever fully realized and he, as he's growing into it without a course correction, without having the courage to say to his meathead father, Dad, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do this. And he followed his passion. And I will tell, and I say this as truthfully as ever, and I would have never believed 20 years ago or 15 years ago I could say these words, but I get as much joy sitting 
in the theater watching him play guitar or sitting here watching him play with the praise band as I did watching him play football. And so God taught me something through my son about the need for us to honor the past. Now, it doesn't mean that what he was doing was wrong, but God had called him in a new direction. And he was obedient to that before he knew what it meant to be obedient to that. But God does that whether we're 12 or whether we're 80. Yeah, Grandma Moses, you familiar with the paintings of Grandma Moses? Any familiar with that? If, she, if you don't, Google it. But she started painting when she was 80 years old, or roughly. I mean, so it, there's no time stamp on where God moves. God calls us to follow our passions. And sometimes that means to move in new directions. God also, I think, communicates to us when we're constantly hitting brick walls. When we're engaged in behaviors and practices that don't seem to be leading anywhere. And this is where the Pharisees come right back into this. Because over and over they try to trap Jesus. That's exactly what they tried to do in these opening verses. They try to trap Jesus. And over and over again, Jesus thwarts them. Jesus sees their intentions. Jesus turns the table on them. Now, most of us would recognize, maybe we would recognize, the futility of continuing on a course of action that is yielding no fruit. Uh, what's uh, um, Einstein's uh, definition? Um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. They over and over again hit a brick wall. Their, 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 their course of action, their opposition to Jesus yields no fruit, takes them, but they don't change. They just refuse to change course. How often in our lives, do we get into patterns where we're just we're banging our head against the wall, but we keep going, we keep going, we keep going. Sometimes those walls are God's way of saying, hey, genius, I'm talking to myself, genius, try a different direction, move somewhere else, but sometimes we just don't hear it. And that's the danger and the trap that the Pharisees fell in. Sometimes those brick walls that we bump into are God's way of steering us in new, uh, new avenues and, and new paths. The third thing here is, I think, is the most obvious. We're called to be quitters when we recognize the things we're doing don't line up with God's will for our lives. And I think we recognize this more than we name and, and um, sometimes care to admit. But there are times in our lives, you've been there, I've been there, when we know that our actions and our behaviors and our choices don't line up with God's will for our lives. And that is the clearest sign imaginable that God desires us to take a new path. And that can't be any more um, powerful and important to us to recognize. Those are the moments that God calls us to a new path when we recognize in the way the Pharisees didn't, that they're just not operating according to God's will. There is one Pharisee that recognized that. There's one named in the Gospels who did see that God was calling him to a course correction. Do you remember what his name was? No. Oh, yeah, you're right. Paul, I'm sorry, in the Gospels. You're right. Paul is in Acts, but, but in the Gospels. Do you remember who it was in the Gospels? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. You're right. I forgot. Paul's a good answer, too. But Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus in John chapter 3 in the night because he knew that Jesus had something important to say. He knew he needed to listen, but he wasn't quite willing to do it in the day. And so he comes and he starts to listen. We, know, we don't know a lot about his journey, but we know that at the end of Jesus' life, when he comes off the cross, Nicodemus was there. The one who was willing to hear in the dark was now willing to follow in the light. 
because he recognized God called him to a new path. Brothers and sisters, we're called to a relationship with God and we're and through Christ, and we're called to live that out every day. And how we're called to live that out is different. But there are times in our lives, not because we're doing anything wrong, but because God has new things in store, that we're called to change course. And sometimes it is because we're in the wrong place. Sometimes it is because we're being disobedient. Sometimes it is because we're being obstinate that God calls us to new places. But we need to be open enough to know that in this journey, God will move us and shape us and redirect us. And we need to be open to that. Sometimes we need to be, in the best sense of the word, quitters. The way Moses was a quitter, the way the disciples were quitters, the way Paul was a quitter. Sometimes we need to quit those behaviors that are moving us away from God's will and line up closer to God's direction and God's intention for us. It's not an easy thing to discern, but it's a question we need to ask. My challenge for all of us is are we willing to be the kind of people that in the best sense of the word can be defined in Christ as a bunch of quitters? I hope and pray that we can. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Lord, thank you that um, you don't give up on us. And you keep poking at us, and you keep moving us, and sometimes it's through our passion. Sometimes it's because we just hit brick walls. But, but you communicate so often our need to move in new directions, to quit one thing in order to be obedient in another. Help us to be open to that, be obedient to that, and to follow you faithfully in the paths that you would lay out for us. We pray in Christ's holy name.